give her a round of applause as she comes up. Am I on? Yes, I am. Okay. Good morning. I think there's some tissues over here, and I just have a feeling I'm going to need them. So we're just going to grab some before we get going, because I'm pretty sure that that was a hand-picked song, both of them. <laughs> I didn't expect to already be start, to start crying, uh, but wow. Um, those words, come and see what God has done, and a lot of the other words as well, but that's what I get to share with you today. That's my story, so um, it's nothing about what I've done, but it's what God has done in my life. So um, I get to share that with you this morning. I'm just going to take you all in a minute because this is just really amazing. We have so many ladies here. We are blowing out the walls. We actually, for those who don't know, we had to ask for tickets that weren't being used to be turned back in because... Well, let's just say we hope the fire marshal doesn't show up today. We have four exits here and here. Use them if needed. Don't take each other out on the way out, but just care for one another, ladies. Oh, I'm so glad you're here today. Makes me so happy. Okay, so let me tell you a little bit about me. Just a little tidbit, because I'm going to share more throughout the morning. Um, I grew up in the area here in the town of Marengo which is just miles away. There we go. I went to Highland, graduated from Highland. Okay. Um, I spent over 15 years of my adult life out of state, mainly in California, and then moved back to the Allen Creek area in 2008 to be near family. So most of my family is in Mount Vernon or Marengo. So I'm a local, local country girl. Um, I am the youngest of six, so I have four older brothers and one sister, and lots of nieces and nephews, and now great nieces and great nephews. I think at Thanksgiving we had half of the family there, and we had 39, I think, people. That was pretty crazy. So, and my parents, they are still married today, and they celebrated 65 years of marriage this year. Pretty awesome, huh? And the last thing I'll share about me, we did not grow up attending church. It wasn't anything that we did. We didn't have an organized faith or religion. So coming to something like this would have been very uncommon and awkward for me. But I hope you don't feel that way, and I hope you feel very welcome. So come and sit back and enjoy. So I would like to begin by sharing with you a report that came out of a 1986 issue of Newsweek magazine. And can I also just be honest, I can't see. I'm, I really should have glasses on. So I'm gonna be flipping my pages a lot because I think I'm at 32 font, so I don't have to wear my glasses. So if it's like, here we go again, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Just putting it out there, you know. <laughs> okay, so here's how the article read. Former U.S. President Richard Nixon is infamous for his place at the center of the Watergate scandal. He disgraced both the office of the presidents 
of the United States and the United States itself in the eyes of the world. When Hubert Humphrey, a former US president, died, Nixon attended his funeral. Dignitaries from all over the country and the world came for this memorial service. They were gathered in the Capitol Rotunda, but Nixon, who was present, was made to feel decidedly unwelcome. People turned their eyes and conversations ran dry around him. Nixon could feel, feel the ostracism being ladled out to him. Then Jimmy Carter, the current serving U.S. president, walked into the room. Carter was from a different political party than Nixon and known for his honesty and integrity. And as he moved to his seat, President Carter noticed Nixon standing alone. Carter immediately changed course. He walked over to Nixon, held out his hand, and you can picture this, smiling genuinely and broadly, embraced Nixon, and said, welcome home, Mr. President, welcome home. Newsweek magazine wrote, if there was a turning point in Nixon's long ordeal in the wilderness, it was that moment and that gesture of love and compassion. Carter gifted Nixon with love and compassion, and Nixon certainly had done nothing to deserve it. It was an act of pure grace on Carter's part. And when the Bible speaks of God's blessing, it speaks in exactly the same way. Grace is never a reward for good behavior. It's a gift, a pure gift of unadulterated grace. So recently I read a phrase in a book written by Chris Anderson, and it's about God's grace as well. And I knew when I was preparing for today, this was the first thing that I put on my, my notes on my phone. So if there is anything that you walk away and remember from today, and you're gonna hear this multiple times, this is what I want you to remember about our time together. No soul is too small for his mercy, and no sin is too great for his grace. So everything I say today is gonna connect back to that very theme, and that's the story of my life. So I'd like to share with you a little bit about the true spirit of Christmas. The purpose of Christmas is to celebrate the birth of Jesus. And it's a, a birthday celebration <laughs> for a baby that was supernaturally conceived by a virgin teenage girl named Mary. The Bible scriptures tell us this baby was the Messiah, the anointed one or the promised deliverer that came to save the world. And he was sent to offer eternal life to anyone who would receive him. So we celebrate because of this child, Jesus. It seems only appropriate then today that I should share with you a little bit about who Jesus was. And I want to share with you who he was as a man. See, I believe a lot is to be told about a person and the way they treat others and the way um, they interact with others. And I think that there's power in our actions, more power than in our words. So I want to share with you a little bit about who he interacted with and how he treated them. 
He interacted with many types of people, some that we might call shady or a little less desirable in society, but he didn't care. We read stories about how Jesus would interact with lepers, and they were those with skin-related diseases. And even though they traditionally received and suffered banishment from their community and families, Jesus broke that tradition. He touched them physically when nobody would touch them, and he showed them compassion and love through that touch, and he even healed them. He hung out with prostitutes. He hung out with thieves and criminals. He spent time with people in society that others rejected. This man loved outcasts. He loved sinners. He loved the broken and the lost, regardless of the cultural rules that stated otherwise. And why did he do that? Because no soul is too small for his mercy and no sin is too great for his grace. The mercy and grace that Jesus offers is for everyone, and I say thank you for that. Jesus didn't let others influence who he spent time with, how he loved them, and how he cared for them. And it doesn't matter who we are or what we've done. It's who Jesus is, and it's what Jesus has done for you personally. So I shared about a few people that he interacted with, with, but I want to focus on one person today, appropriately a woman. So I want to share with you about an interaction between Jesus and a woman at the well. And I think my mouth is dry. And you don't want to listen to that, do you? (laughs) Okay, so we don't know the name or this age of this woman at the well, but Her conversation is the longest one-on-one chat recorded in scripture. So I think it's pretty important, and I absolutely love this story. So that's what you get today. So the area of Palestine today is about 120 miles from north to south. It would be about the distance from Columbus to Cleveland. It was divided into three distinct territories. The south was Judea, the north was Galilee, and in between was the area of Samaria. And the people of Samaria, called the Samaritans, were a mixed race of local Jews and foreigners. And at this time, in this story, Jesus is in Judea, and he decides to leave and go to the far north. Now, the quickest, most direct route would be to go through Samaria. And taking the alternate route around would have doubled his travel time. And they don't have cars, they're on foot, remember that. So it would have been wisest to go straight, right? Well, here's the thing. The shorter route through Samaria would not have been the chosen route for a Jew to travel during that time. And the reason is because Jews did not associate with the Samaritans. In fact, the pure Jews hated the Samaritans. They would avoid Samaria altogether because they were a mixed race. The Jews had a strong desire to maintain a pure bloodline within their people, and that resulted in segregation between Jews and any mixed race. So for Jesus, who was a Jew, the chosen route should have been around Samaria. But it says in the Bible, and we're in the book of John, chapter 4, it says 
that Jesus had to go through Samaria. And in the original Greek writing, that word had actually means necessity. He, it was necessary that he go through Samaria. Now, many people who have studied the Bible a lot longer than I have believe that he was prompted to go through Samaria because his father, God, had prompted him to. So it would be like for you, when you just start to think about someone, an old friend that you haven't thought about in years, and you just feel the need to call them, it was probably something like that. So as the story goes, it was high noon on a hot day. Jesus was tired from traveling and chose to stop and rest at Jacob's well outside of the town of Sychar. He rested there while his disciples went into town for food. When an unnamed woman appeared with a clay jar in hand, Jesus made a request of her. Will you give me a drink? So it was the responsibility of women to retrieve water for their households, but they would come early in the morning to avoid the scorching hot sun. And you should also know that this well in particular was a mile and a half outside of town. Now, there would have been water closer to this woman in town, but she walks the extra distance and at midday. And there's a reason for that, I think. So why was she at this well at the hottest part of the day? It is presumed that she chose this location and time to avoid being seen by others. Have you ever avoided being seen? Have you maybe covered something up or hidden something from other people that you don't want to reveal? I'm sure we can all relate in some way to this woman. I know I can. So Jesus asked her for a drink, which doesn't seem like a big deal to us today. But remember, Jesus is a Jew, and she is an unclean Samaritan woman. Jews didn't eat or mingle with the Samaritans. In addition, Jewish men were never to speak with a woman alone. Most wouldn't even speak to their own wives or daughters in public, and they would even close their eyes to avoid seeing a woman passing by them. I know that may sound absurd to us today, but you have to think about the culture at that time and what the laws were. Women were basically possessions and secondhand citizens. But Jesus, he breaks the rules. And that's what I love about this man. Though Jesus was willing to break the cultural rules by initiating a conversation with this woman, she wasn't as a willing. You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman, she reminded him. How can you ask me for a drink? See, she knew the law and she was focused on the law. But Jesus, he was focused on grace. Jesus began, if you knew the gift of God. He begins with the word gift, which was an alluring invitation for her. And he refers to a gift, a truly irresistible gift, especially the gift that came by the grace of this one man, Jesus Christ. Instead of insisting she pour him a drink, she, he offered her living water. Now, water from the ground was common, but living water? He had her attention now. As they continue to dialogue about this water, this living water, I believe she's confused and a little intrigued at the same time. 
See, she's thinking Jesus is talking about the well water, and it's an old well, so she knows it's stagnant water. And living water would be more like a fresh spring flowing under, and that didn't exist at this well. But see, she's focused on the literal, literal interpretation of water. And Jesus is offering something different than water to quench her physical thirst. So to quench her spiritual thirst, Jesus first confessed the truth of this water. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. And then Jesus made a bold promise to her. Whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. In one sentence, he shifted from everyday life to everlasting life. There was a very deep message in this. What Jesus was offering her was more than drinking water to quench her physical thirst. He's referring to a different kind of thirst even. It's a thirst that's rooted deep within us. It's a longing. And where we, we want something to quench it and satisfy it, even when we don't know what that is. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Can you hear the desperation in her voice? I can only imagine it. I won't have to come here to get water? Is that what she's thinking? Well, she didn't have to go there to get water, nor in the heat of the day, but that was a choice she had made. See, I believe she's desperate for something else, and she didn't know what it was. And I can so relate with her because I lived that way for so many years. Jesus told her, go call your husband and come back. Now that's not an odd request because remember, women were not to converse alone with men in public. But Jesus' request was more about uncovering truth than following cultural rules. When she confessed, I have no husband, Jesus affirmed her answer, but then he gently exposed her sin. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. Now, five marriages didn't make her a sinner, See, men, the death of men was very common back there due to famine, warfare, disease. And a widow either became a beggar, a prostitute, or another man's wife. And you know what? I'm sure our Samaritan woman made probably, she chose what she thought was the best decision for her survival at the time. But you know what? Sharing her bed with another man a sixth man who wasn't her husband? That was a sin. Now, today that may not seem like a big deal in our culture, but back then in their culture, that was a significant offense. And so just think about sin as anything that is less than perfect. So did she fess up to Jesus? Nope. She changed the subject. Have you ever done that? She talked about many different things, but finally, the woman at the well did her best to shut Jesus down, and she said, when the Messiah comes, he will explain everything. How stunned she must have been at Jesus' response to her. I am the Messiah. 
The next moment, the arrival of the disciples uh, confirmed his identity, and the woman began to realize the truth. The anointed one, the Messiah, had come. Can you imagine how she must have felt when she realized who she had been conversing with all this time? Overjoyed, she left her water jar and she hurried back into town to urge her neighbors to come. She, she exclaimed, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Scary, huh? Could this be the Christ? See, the woman left behind at the well that day something other than her water jar. Along with that water jar, she left behind her shame. See, Jesus, he could see into her heart. He knew the pain, those deep, pain-filled areas, the ones you don't let anyone into. He knew it, and he loved her. He offered her something that would free her of her shame and disappointment. It must have burdened her so much and to think that that was released. She made an exchange with Jesus that day. She gave away her sin. She gave away her shame and her disappointment. And she received God's acceptance, his love, and his grace. And she knew after this encounter that only Jesus could quench her thirst. And I believe she understood that no soul is too small for his mercy and no sin is too great for his grace. So maybe you're thirsting for something today. Maybe there's just something you're yearning for and you can so relate to this woman. I know I did for a good portion of my life. See, I was a girl always seeking love and validation and purpose. And I spent about two-thirds of my life searching for things to fill my needs, to quench my thirst. Ways to quench the thirst that you have for something more and you, you just keep going for it even though you can't explain what it is and you don't know what it is. From the time I was a very young teenager, I began abusing alcohol. I had inappropriate relationships with boys and that continued into adulthood. I found myself so consumed with my physical appearance, I would take pills hoping like God that would just happen. Something would happen to my body and I'd have that perfect body. And as I look back, I realize God's hand, his protective hand, had to be on me because I had put myself in so many dangerous situations. The ones you don't expect to be in, but you just find yourself there somehow. And I believe that he preserved my life because he still had things for me to do. And he was pursuing me even though I didn't know it at the time. I grew up where, in a home where I was taught to work hard. Um, that idea that if you work hard, you'll get a better life, right? And not that I believe there's importance in working hard, don't get me wrong, um, but it consumed me. It became my focus. I spent my life always working for the next thing. I could just never sit and be in the moment. After finishing college and entering the workplace, my focus became something bigger, 
something better. It was never good enough. It was everything from my job title, my responsibility, uh, my compensation, the clothing I wore, the way I looked, the things I owned. It just, the list went on and on. And can I tell you something? That is exhausting. It is absolutely exhausting. And you know why? Because you'll never get there. You never achieve. You're never content. And so you just keep working and working, just like that little hamster on the, the wheel, right? Eventually, I got married the first time. And all I can say is that each of us came into that marriage very broken. And we had very unhealthy behavioral patterns. We came from families um, that just had anger issues. And we carried that right on through to our marriage. We were toxic together, explosive. And we didn't know what to do. We didn't know how to fix it. We didn't know how to change it. So you know what we did? We gave up and we lived separate lives together. Okay, I'm feeling a need to take a detour. Can I just say, if you are struggling in your marriage, fight for your marriage. Get help. There are so many people who want to help you, and don't go to the person who tells you you're doing everything right. Go to the person who's going to challenge you to raise above and be better. Because it can be done. So we didn't have help. We didn't know what to do. So I continued in my unhealthy behavioral patterns, and once again, I found myself seeking for love because it didn't exist anymore. I think it's pretty safe to assume that most of us don't intend to divorce or commit infidelity. I know I did not. And one day I woke up, and it had just happened. And there was absolutely nothing I could do to change it. I had to live with that, that guilt and the shame that just smothered me most of my life. I am so thankful that no soul is too small for his mercy. And no sin is too great for his grace. So if you fast forward a little, post-divorce, and now I'm dating that awesome man in the center, my husband now. <laughs> um, I'm going to talk about him in past tense, and all these are still true today. He had a very kind and gentle spirit about him. He didn't know Jesus. Well, he'd fallen away, we'll just say that. But he still had a very kind and gentle spirit about him. And um, he can make me laugh like no one else. He's patient with me, and he always encourages me. And we don't have a perfect marriage, don't get me wrong. He has some sins that he needs to deal. <laughs> I love you, babe. No, I don't want to paint the picture that everything's pretty. It's not always pretty. Our daughters can attest to that. But you know what? He was a gift from God for me. God knew exactly what I needed, even when I didn't. 
I was 35 years old when I finally began to experience true love. And as much as I love my husband, as he weeps, it wasn't because of him. It was because I met Jesus. And that's when I began to experience true love. So let me share that story with you. Derek and I, we wasted no time. We got married very quickly. And we immediately, we were older, we immediately knew we wanted to start a family. And though I was very career-driven, I always knew I wanted children. Ten, to be exact, and I'm so <laughs> glad. <laughs> I think I wanted to outdo my mom. Crazy. But that had been my dream all my life. And probably because my mom's role was to care for her husband, her children, and her home. And she embraced her role. You know, she found her identity and purpose from being a mom. It's one of the things I love about her. So when Derek and I couldn't get pregnant, boy, my world started to come tumbling down. Infertility was a hard thing to swallow because being a mother, had a, I had always, all, always planned that identity for myself. We were still in California at the time, and um, Derek and I had two couples that we were good friends with, and we spent a lot of time with them, and I kid you not, <laughs> they both became pregnant within weeks apart of each other. I can remember the night, you may remember this, we're sitting at, it was my boss, um, we're sitting at his house around his dining room table. I can still remember what they served for dinner that night as they shared their wonderful news. And it took everything in me, though I was very happy for them, it took everything in me to just keep that smile on my face and to be joyful. I remember at one point, I just escaped to the bathroom so I could just let it all out. From there, I became so fixed on how can I fix this problem? What can I do so we can have a baby? See, control was modeled really well in my home. And now having a baby was out of my control. And God was doing a work in me. So we did what most people do. You go through the fertility testing to see what's going on. They had absolutely no idea. There was nothing that was coming up where they went, this is preventing you, here's what we want to do. So what we did is anything they told us to do, pretty much. We tried it all. You don't, we won't even go there. Trust me, I'm not going to elaborate. With all that effort, though, we still couldn't get pregnant. So eventually, our doctor suggested we try in vitro fertilization, IVF. IVF felt like a really good plan to me. I like plans. I like to be organized. We can do this. I was trying to regain control of the situation. So after we decided to move forward, we were connected with a really awesome fertility specialist. He was right outside of San Francisco and we loved him. <laughs> he was just the coolest guy. I just loved sitting with him and talking with him, Derek the same. And he was very spiritual. 
he would even tell us that he would pray for the embryos before they put them back in the mother. And I went, oh, that's awesome. I don't pray, but okay, that's awesome. <laughs> we'll take anything. Will it fix us? We got it, right? But I loved him, and we just had great confidence in him. We had great confidence. This doctor was going to do it. Okay, so IVF goes like this. Through daily injections, which aren't so nice, especially some of them, they get your body to mass-produce eggs. So you already feel pregnant before you've experienced the actual conception. They, rather than taking the normal one egg a month from the body, they extracted 21 eggs from me all at the same time. After they collect the eggs, we chose to have Derek's sperm, sorry babe, his sperm injected into, <laughs> sorry daughters, into the egg. We're just doing a little science project here. Okay, so immediately they detected a problem. I had fragile eggs. When they would inject the needle, my eggs would just bust. And that was it. They were, they were done. Um, so I had fragile eggs, but I had three that didn't bust. So three out of the 21. So from there, for the next few days, they observe the embryos, the eggs, and they look at their cell division. And as they cell divide, then that's when they're able to confirm fertilization. So we had three. Two of them were cell dividing very well, but our third one was struggling. And I remember as the doctor told this, and I actually, I think, said it out loud to him. Yep, that one, that one in particular is a fighter. I'm like, that one's going to survive. I guess it was like my Wilbur, right? So we decided under the doctor's recommendation to transfer all three back into my body. And then it's a waiting game. About 12 to 14 days later, a pregnancy test confirmed they didn't survive, not one. I wasn't pregnant. And remember, I didn't have any other embryos available. They were gone. So this surfaced a lot of really unhealthy things in me that I had believed all my life. Things like, yet again, I'm not good enough. The failure was my fault because of my eggs. I couldn't fulfill my role in giving my husband children. Deep breath here. And probably the hardest one, I questioned if this was punishment for all of the poor choices I had made throughout my life. I recall a conversation with my sister who lives in Ohio. She asked me one night, have you prayed about this? I still to this day don't even know where that came. That must have been a God thing. Um, remember, we didn't grow up praying. It, it just wasn't a part of our culture. And I'm like, and I was bitter by this point. And I remember saying, Cindy, really? I just need to pray? That'll fix it all? See, it was drowning in my helplessness. 
because I couldn't. I'd always been a person who could take care of things and fix it, but I couldn't do this one. So after some time, Derek and I decided to give IVF another try. To make a long story short, we went through the second round, and this time, my eggs weren't fragile, but when they would inject them, they just wouldn't fertilize. We only had two embryos that actually fertilized, and there are daughters, Emma and Maya, sitting right over there. <laughs> Jim, if you want to put the picture up, this is my family. That's Derek, and our eldest by one minute on the left, Emma, and our baby on the, your right, that's Maya. You know what, they are my loves, and I bet you can understand why, right? But you know what, they're not my first love. See, the part of the story I want to share with you is when the girls were three months old, I realized that God had been preparing me all that time to receive his grace in the hard stuff. He was pursuing me in the hard stuff. All of that was to make a way for what was yet to come. That's when I met Jesus, because someone shared him with me, my mother-in-law, to be exact. <laughs> they say that hindsight is 2020, right? Like the woman at the well, God exposed a lot of brokenness in me. But in that experience, he helped me realize I was created for more. God's love was the one thing and the only thing that could fill my empty well. A writer by the name of C.S. Lewis wrote, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. See, I wasn't created for myself, I wasn't created for my husband or our daughters. I was created by God and for God and for his purposes. End of story. But I'm thankful that those three were a part of God's plan for me. There are some lyrics from a Matthew West song that really convey my heart, and I want to share them with you, but I'll sh I will not sing them. <laughs> Don't do that stuff in front of people. Words can't describe the way it feels when mercy floods a thirsty soul. A broken side begins to heal, and grace returns what guilt has stole. There's a war between guilt and grace, and they're fighting for a sacred place. But I'm living proof. Grace wins every time. So we celebrate the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, at Christmas, but why do we celebrate him? It says in the book of Romans in the Bible in chapter 3, For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of sin. Dictionary.com defines sin as a willful or deliberate violation of some religious or moral principle. So guess what? We all sin. I sin. 
you sin. And we fall short of God's standard of perfection. But you know what? No soul is too small for his mercy and no sin is too great for his grace. God loves us so much that he brought his son Jesus to earth to die a horrific criminal's death on a cross in order to pay the price for our sins. And his death covers our past sins and all the sins we'll commit in the future. Our relationship with Jesus is the only thing that can pay our debt and free us. Remember I said earlier that it's not about who we are, but it's about and what we've done, but it's about who Jesus is and what he's done. All we have to do is accept what he has done. That's simple. I think we're all women at the well. I think we're all thirsty for something, right? Something to quench our thirst. But you know what? Only your personal relationship will satisfy that. It's the only thing. And we have to stop looking for other things to fulfill it. Jesus says in Revelation, Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. For those of you who are thirsty today and longing for something more, I want, you, I want to invite you to receive his forgiveness, his acceptance, and his grace. There's everlasting life when you give your life to Jesus. I want to encourage you to open the door and invite Jesus into your life. I can't tell you what it did. I mean, I've explained it. It's just amazing how different I feel today. And I want to give you that opportunity right now. There's no better time to do it. So can I ask everyone, I'm not going to force you, but can I ask everyone to close your eyes for a moment? For those of you who want to begin a relationship with Jesus, or maybe you've already done that, but you've gotten off track and you've fallen away, I want you to pray these words with me. I invite you to do that right now, and you can do it silently in your heart. Okay. God in heaven, I acknowledge to you that I'm a sinner. And I am so sorry for my sins and the life that I have lived apart from you. I acknowledge that I am in need of your forgiveness. I believe that your son Jesus shed his precious blood on the cross for me personally, and he died for my sins. And today I want to turn away from my sin and invite you into my life. I'm tired of living for me and I need your help. I want to start living for you. And I believe that you raised Jesus from the dead and that only Jesus can save me. And I want to give Jesus power over my life and the choices I make. And I thank you, Jesus. I thank you for dying for me and offering me eternal life. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And all the women said, amen. I want to invite the band to go ahead and come on up and get ready. Um, right now, if we could have the table hostesses, there are the comment cards and pencils on your table. If you could pass those around. 
Here's the thing. I know this always feels awkward, so I'm going to make some promises to you right now. If you were one of the women who prayed that prayer today for the very first time, would you give me your name and your address, and would you check that first box? And it's not because I'm going to harass you or show up at your door. I promise. It's because I want to send you a letter and I want to be praying for you. And if you maybe made a recommitment, do the same thing and then check that second box. I want to be praying for you because we all need those prayers. There's some other boxes on there if you want some information about the church or if you want information about Christianity. You can check those as well. I do need your name and address because I don't know who you are. <laughs> but I'm going to make you a promise. Everyone who fills that out and checks those boxes, you're going to get one letter from me, and that's it. And it's because I care, and I want to be praying for you and reach out to you. Okay? But I'm not going to call you or harass you or keep sending stuff. And I, I invite all of the women here, even the members of VCDC, we love your comments. We love your feedback. There are so many people that have put such great effort into this time together, and we'd love to be able to share the things, the compliments, and just the thank you so much for this. It just is so heartwarming. And if you have a criticism, you're on that next year, you're going to fix it. Okay? That's the promise we make. Okay, so thank you so much for your time. I am so glad you're here, and I'll just say Merry Christmas. If you'd stand, we're going to close with a couple of Christmas carols together, and there will be words on the screen. We're actually going to sing, uh, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and Joy to the World, but we're adding a little chorus into Joy to the World, so it's really easy. You can jump right in. So as soon as you're done with your comment cards, please stand. If you are done, please stand now, and we're going to close with a couple songs.
all again for coming this morning, and we hope you had a wonderful time. I'm going to close us in a word of prayer, and then we're going to give you some direction before we leave because we need some help uh, cleaning up for our service tonight. So let's go ahead and close in some prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this morning to get to share this together. We praise you for just all that you've done in our hearts. God, would you continue to speak to us the rest of this afternoon? Would you reveal just your grace to us, that we could come to not only understand it, but truly receive it, God. Help us to receive your grace. Every single one of us here needs, needs that reminder. And I pray that you would go with us as we leave and that you would bless each and every woman here today. I pray your blessing on them. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. I'm